This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Take your copy of God's Word, if you would, this morning, and turn with me to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs. We begin this morning a journey through this book that, uh, Lord willing, will take us all the way through the month of June. There's a lot of stuff to say from Proverbs. I'm really excited to spend this time with you. Let me just encourage you real quickly. Um, I want to spare you from some potential frustration next week. If you have one of these books, which are kind of our journals through Proverbs, and you're planning on taking notes, if you don't have them, I don't know if we have any left at the back. We didn't have many last week, but we may have some more at the end. I would encourage you to write this sermon down in the back, not in Proverbs 1. Because I'm going to give a bit of an overview this morning of Proverbs, and then next week we'll jump right into Proverbs 1.1. My daughter Lily, 18 years old, who had the opportunity to go with some seniors in high school and a bunch of college students uh, to Atlanta with about 20,000 other college students uh, to Passion a couple of weeks ago, a conference that the Lord has been using over the last 25 years to stir up a generation to live for God's glory and reach the nations for Christ, a group I'm very thankful for. And she went and she came home and we were just talking about kind of the conference and I asked her what, what message was the most impactful to her. It's interesting because I asked a lot of people that question around the office that had gone and her answer was similar to most of the other answers. And she mentioned one talk specifically that was about taking down the distinction really between the secular and the spiritual and learning how to see Jesus in every area of life. Learning that our Christianity is not a category. It, it is not an area over here, but Christianity is something that influences the whole of our life, that Jesus wants to be involved in everything. He has something to say about everything that God has called us not to see God as a part of our life, but as our life. And I'm so thankful that she said that, and I'm so thankful that she heard that, and that God used that in her life, because one of the most important moments in the life of every believer is the moment in which we start to realize that. Because even the most dedicated Christians, maybe even those who wake up every morning and spend time with God, have a tendency to put spiritual life in a separate category from the rest of life. It is even possible to wake up in the morning and spend 30, 40, five minutes, an hour with the Lord and then leave that moment and think very little about God the rest of the day. Or to bring God into certain areas that we're convinced God has something to say about and God cares about, but not bring him into our marriage, not bring him into our parenting, not bring him into our workplace, not bring him into our conflict or our relationships or our decision-making the reality is many of us have lots of areas in our life that if we're honest are just simply godless. And that's a shame because that's not the way that God has called us to live. The moment that we choose to trust and follow Jesus, what we are doing at that moment is taking the whole of our life, every area of our life and surrendering it to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Meaning we're saying to the Lord, okay, Lord, you are the boss of every area. Every area of my life, I'm surrendering it to you. 
Romans chapter 12 tells us that true worship is not simply singing like we did this morning. True worship is not simply hearing the preaching we'll hear this morning. True worship is the surrender of our lives as a living sacrifice to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's worship. Worship is when I say, Lord, I'm inviting you into my life. I want you to be the Lord of every area. Worship is when throughout the day, whether I'm singing a song or hearing a sermon or not, I'm just saying, Lord, I am giving myself to you. I'm looking to you. And the reason we know that it's possible to live that way is because Romans 11.36 says this, For from him and through him and to him are all things. Meaning everything comes from him and everything is going back to him and everything is through him, which means it is possible for us to see Jesus in everything from him to him and through him are all things. And then we have 1 Corinthians 10.31, which says this, Whether you eat or drink, do all what? For the glory of God. Say it again, for the glory of God. I think the reason Paul chooses eating and drinking is because in that moment he wants us to know that it is possible for us to do the most mundane task every moment of the day in a way that gives God glory. It is possible to eat for the glory of God. It is possible to drink for the glory of God. It is possible for us to see every single detail of our lives in a way that brings Jesus into it. And if we really want to live lives in which we're trusting and following Jesus, we cannot simply make Jesus one category of our life. And I would say that's the reason we so desperately need the book of Proverbs. Because the book of Proverbs, unique to maybe any other book in the entire Bible, shows us that there is no area of our life in which God is not interested there is no area of our life in which God does not want to be involved. There is no area of our life in which God does not have something to say. Listen to this. And there is no area of our life that would not be dramatically improved if we did it God's way. There is no area of our life which would not be dramatically improved if we did it God's way. And we say, well, how do we know the way to do things his way? Well, that's why God has given us the book of Proverbs. To tell us that every word that comes out of your mouth and every bite that goes into your mouth, every part of your work life and your plans and your future and your marriage and your parenting and your relationships and your areas of conflict and your habits, every single one of those areas is something to which God has something to say. But what's interesting to me is when we think about the book of Proverbs, we don't often think about it that way. We do think of it as practical, and we do think it about as having to, something to say about a lot of different areas, but it seems as if we often look at the book of Proverbs and feel as if it's not non-Christian, but maybe a little unchristian, meaning it's just some really good nuggets. It's just some great words of, of wisdom, as if the book of Proverbs is chicken soup for the Christian soul. We kind of tend to feel that way. I think if you were really to be serious about wanting to follow the Lord in every area of your life, I'm not sure you would think, if I want to make Jesus the center of my life, if I want to be all about Jesus, if I want to love Jesus, if I want to see Jesus in every area, I'm not sure you would go to the book of Proverbs. You would probably go to Ephesians or Philippians because you might think that Proverbs is not a Jesus-centered book. 
But I want you to see this morning, before we dive into all of the specifics as we move forward in the next few months, that, G, that the book of Proverbs in every single way is a Christ-centered, Jesus-exalting book that shows us how to bring Jesus into every single area of our life. As followers of Christ, we need the book of Proverbs to teach us how to live a life in which every area is for his glory. Now, the book of Proverbs is divided up into two primary sections. And if you were to read from beginning to end, which hopefully you have done, you would notice the difference. Chapters 1 through 9 and chapters 10 through 31. Chapters 1 through 9 are a series of conversations between a father and the son, and they feel like conversations. Chapters 10 through 31 is where you begin to get more of those kind of pithy one-liners that you think about when you think about the book of Proverbs. But those really do not begin to show up until chapter 10. And there's a reason for this. The reason is, is because if we simply jump to chapter 10, or if we simply jump to all of the nuggets of wisdom and the practical instruction we need and miss the foundation of chapters one through nine, then we will miss Jesus in the Proverbs. We will miss the way in which we are really to use the Proverbs. We could say it this way, that chapters one through nine are really what we would say the hermeneutical key, meaning the, the, the door, the, uh, the key that unlocks the door to getting any proverb right. It is possible to take some little nugget from Proverbs and say, that's a great thing I want to add to my life. But if we don't see it in light of Jesus and in light of our lives with Jesus, we will miss the goal of what Solomon is trying to accomplish. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to take chapters 1 through 9 as a whole, and then we'll start next week right in chapter 1, verse 1. And I want us to begin to see the way in which Proverbs teaches us how to bring Jesus into every area of life. And I'm going to do that by giving you four words, okay? Four categories. And as I begin to read Proverbs 1 through 9, I begin to see these categories, and then this week, I took those four categories. I actually did it in my little book right here. And I took four colored pens and uh, I began to look how everything in chapters one through nine falls into those four categories. And I'll tell you this, as I read through chapters one through nine over and over and over, I could say almost every single verse in chapters one through nine fall into one of these four categories. And it is those that help us to understand how to see this as a Christ exalting helpful book of the Bible to teach us how to walk with Jesus Christ. So I want to give you those four words this morning. And because I was feeling just extra on this week, I don't know what it was. I just felt good. They all start with the same letter. I alliterated. I never do that. <laughs> the problem is now that I told you that you're going to try to guess the next one. Don't do that. I'll, I'll get there. Just... The first one is this. I want you to see the path of wisdom. You're already starting to think of the second P. Don't do it. The path of wisdom. And here's what's important. We cannot view the wisdom of Proverbs as just helpful tips. What we must do is view the Proverbs as an invitation into a way in which we live, a direction in which we go. You see this all throughout the book of Proverbs. There is these competing paths, these competing voices. There is the way of wisdom, and you know it, the way of folly. The way of wisdom, I think you know it, the way of folly. The way of wisdom and the way of folly. There are constantly throughout the book these invitations to walk in one of these two ways. And you see this in words like path and way and walking and feet and steps and turning from one way 
to another. And so what the father is doing as he begins these conversations with his son is he is not ultimately interested in the fact that the son just makes some good decisions. He is not simply interested in that the son have nuggets of wisdom. He is interested that the son make a decision at the very beginning, we'll see more next week, to choose the pathway of wisdom. Because any fool can say something wise. Any fool can have a moment in which they might even do something categorized as wise. But the book of Proverbs is not simply there to equip you with ways of wisdom. It is there to call you to walk you into the way of wisdom. To say, this is the path. This is the direction. This is the way. Follow it. It is calling us to make a decision that I am going to choose the way of wisdom. I'm going to choose to go this direction. And here's the reality. There are only two ways to live. There might be a, a thousand different things to call it. But there are only two ways to live. There's the way of wisdom and the way of folly. And listen to this. If you have not purposefully, thoughtfully, and intentionally said, I am going to choose the way of wisdom. Then by default, you have chosen the way of folly. With its destination and with all of its consequences, the book of Proverbs forces us at the very beginning to make a decision. Which direction am I going to go? I've told you this before and, and those who uh, know me well will know this. But a few years ago, I had read a book by David Pallison. He's one of my favorite authors. He writes a lot on counseling and sanctification. And he made a little statement that really honestly changed my life. He said this. He said, when it comes to walking with Jesus... Direction is more important than distance. So I'm a distance guy. I'm meaning like not running in any way, just like in life. Like what I mean is I want to get far and I want to see God do a lot. And I have a lot of dreams and visions of things I want the Lord to do. And so I'm thinking, Lord, I want to be here. Even in my personal life, my kids, my parenting, like my own sanctification. Lord, I want to be here. I want to be this kind of guy. But what I've realized is this. If all we think about is distance, we might end up doing a thousand foolish and pragmatic things in order to get to that distance and we won't get there. But instead of thinking about distance, we think about direction. And if you think about direction, listen, I assure you, if you think about direction, God will take care of the distance. So what we do is just wake up every morning and say, Lord, I want to walk in the right direction today. I want to go your way. I want to make sure in this moment I'm headed towards you. I'm walking the pathway of wisdom. And those who make the choice to walk the way of wisdom will get the distance that God wants them to have. This really reminds us, if you want a New Testament passage for this, Ephesians 5.15, which says, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Life is about choosing a direction and moment by moment walking in it. There's the path of wisdom. The second one is this. There is the person of wisdom. The person of wisdom. Now, one of the things you'll find interesting as you read through chapters 1 through 9 is wisdom is always personified. Meaning wisdom speaks and wisdom talks and wisdom invites and wisdom pleads. Wisdom is turned into a person. As a matter of fact, and this is going to be important when we come to the end, wisdom feels less like a command and more like a person. Wisdom feels less like do this, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. And more like someone who is inviting you into a life that they want to give you. That's important. And you see this all throughout. As a matter of fact, you see it in, in chapter 1. Look at chapter 1, verse 20 and, and following. 
It says this in chapter 1, verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. Get this picture. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. In the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. And that picture is going to be important in a minute. Picture wisdom is standing there, surrounded by a crowd of people crying out, choose the way of wisdom. Listen to what she says. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will you scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Turn at my reproof. And if you do, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you and I will make my words known to you. But because I have called and you have refused to listen, you have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I will laugh at your calamity and I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Wisdom is crying aloud. Wisdom is begging. Wisdom is inviting you to choose the way of wisdom. Write down Proverbs 8. You might want to look there. Proverbs 8, 1 through 9. You see it very clearly there as well. Proverbs 8 says this. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice on the heights beside the way? At the crossroads, she takes her stand. So you get this picture that really at every moment of our life, wisdom is calling. At every moment of our life, we have the opportunity to choose this way or that way. It's not simply one invitation. There is this constant invitation. Everywhere you go, it seems to see that wisdom is there and wisdom is calling you to walk in her ways. To you, O men, I call, verse 4, and my cry is to the children of men. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteousness. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. So take my instruction instead of silver. And so you just hear the voice of wisdom calling out. And look at chapter 9. Turn to the next page to chapter 9. It's significant that chapters 1 through 9 end this way because they end with two competing paths and two com competing people, two competing voices. It begins with the way of wisdom and ends with the way of folly. Look at chapter 9, verses 4 through 6. It says that wisdom is calling out and wisdom says, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come and eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. By the way, that really reminds me of Jesus saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Come and eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. But then as that voice is going out and there's this call of wisdom to choose the path of life, there's a competing voice. Look at verse 13. And there's woman folly and she's loud. She's seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house and she takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. And listen, her words begin the same way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sin, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Look at verse 18. This is how chapter 9 ends. This section ends with this phrase. But he does not know that the dead are there. And that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. 
What you don't know when you receive the invitation from Lady Folly is that those who followed her are in the depths of Sheol. The dead are there, meaning there is a path of life and there is a path of death. And the only way to life is to receive the invitation of wisdom and reject the invitation of folly. And the reason you have wisdom personified is partly because this is poetry. So this is just how poetry works. Partly because I think the father is trying to instruct the son in a way that makes sense to him. So he presents wisdom as this beautiful and virtuous woman who is inviting you to come find life. And the competition is another kind of woman. I think part of this is because we often do this in regular life. We will refer to a car or to a boat uh, in a personified way. But it's more than that. The primary reason this is done is so that as we look at this with New Testament eyes, we would begin to understand that wisdom is not just facts. Wisdom is not just good words. Wisdom is a person, and we must receive the invitation of wisdom and fall in and follow in their ways. Wisdom is a path. Wisdom is a person. The third one is this. There is the promise of wisdom. The path of wisdom, the person of wisdom, and the promise of wisdom. Proverbs is filled with promises. And listen to me, they're coming from both sides. So as you saw in chapter 9, Lady Folly is making promises and Lady Wisdom is also making promises. And both of them uh, promise life and joy and pleasure. And both of them are showing us that there is a certain direction that we walk and that direction leads to a destination. Look back at at chapter 1 and verses 10 through 18. So here's what it says. It says, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find precious goods. We shall fill our house with plunder. Throw in your lot among us and we will all have one purse. And so if you kind of would dissect that as we will in a couple of weeks, it's basically the way of folly saying, hey, come on with us. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to do fun stuff. We're going to make a lot of money. This is going to be great. What the father says is you cannot believe that voice. And he says this, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their path. So listen to this. The father's concern is not simply that the son make a bad decision, but the son choose the wrong direction. And he says, don't walk in their paths. And then he says in verse 16, for their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. Listen, these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such other ways are everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. What they're saying is this, these men are harming their self. You've heard me say this before. Sin is self-destruction. Sin is self-harm. Sin is making a decision that you want to bring harm up on yourself. What he's saying is, listen, I know they're making great promises, but let me tell you the reality of what happens if you choose to walk their way. Their promises will not come true. But then look at chapter 3. Turn to chapter 3. And you see all the promises that wisdom makes. Starting in verse 1, my son, do not forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commandments. Listen to this. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
And do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. And here's a promise and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh, more promises and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. And by the way, one of the reasons, we don't talk about this a ton, but one of the reasons I believe absolute convictionally without any reservation that, that part of, of 101 discipleship with the Lord, and I know this from Matthew chapter 6, one of the first decisions we make as a follower of Jesus Christ is what it says right here. We honor the Lord with the first fruits of what we have, which means we don't wait till the end of the month to see what we have left to give something to the Lord. We take the first of every check, and the first decision we make is give it to the Lord. No amens, but that's okay. I think I got a grumble down here. So Look at the promise. I'm just telling you, I, I could spend all day talking about the way in which God, if we've seen God in our lives, uh, keep this promise. Then your barns will be filled with plenty. Why? Because you're trusting the Lord first and your vats will be bursting with wine. And over and over, it gives us all of these promises. Listen, blessed is the one who finds wisdom, verse 13. For her gain is better than silver. Her profit is better than gold. She's more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare to her. Meaning, if you go after wealth and don't get wisdom, you end up with nothing. But if you go after wisdom and potentially get wealth, you get everything. This is worth more than anything that you could ever get. Because verse 17, her ways are the ways of pleasantness and her paths are the paths of peace. She's a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. To those who hold her fast, they're called blessed. And look at verse 21 in chapter 3. So my son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. They will be life to your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. And when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. I just want to highlight one verse. It's verse 33, just for personal reasons. I was reading my Bible at the beginning of last year, and it was last year that the Lord gave me this verse, and it really became my verse for the year. It kind of became my personal mantra. I just said it over and over. It's the promise. I was praying for the Lord for the year. Listen to this. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked. Now, we don't mean like what you think, like the obnoxious, overtly wicked. It means that, but it means those who have not chosen the way of wisdom. Because there's only two ways. Listen to this. Think about this. The curse of the Lord is on the way of the wicked. If you don't know the Lord, that should terrify you. It should terrify you to think that God is opposing you, that God is against you, that the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked. But here's, here's the beauty. This is what I was claiming last year. But he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Do you want the Lord's blessing on your house? Anybody, do you want the Lord's blessing on your house? Do you want the Lord to bless your family and your marriage and your children? Well, what I was holding on to all last year is that the blessing of the Lord is on the dwelling of the righteous. Lord, there's nothing I want more. And what motivates me so much to walk with God, to stay pure, to stay a man of integrity is because I want God's blessing on my children, my wife, and my house. Like that is the prime, I'm not kidding you, probably more than anything else, my primary motive for doing my best to walk with Jesus is not just because it affects you, which it does, but because I want my children and my wife to know the blessing of God. Where did I get that? I got that from, from Proverbs chapter 3. 
Because there's just these promises of wisdom. And the point that is being made is this. When you choose a pathway, you're also choosing a destination. When you choose the way of wisdom, you're choosing the destination of wisdom. If you choose the way of folly, you are choosing the destination of folly. And you are also choosing all of the things along the way. So when you choose the way of wisdom, you get the destination of wisdom. And you also get the life that comes on that way. There's the path of wisdom, the person of wisdom, the promise of wisdom. The final one is this. There's the pursuit of wisdom. The pursuit of wisdom. One thing very clear in the book of Proverbs is that wisdom is something that must be sought. It comes to those who want it. It comes to those who pursue it. It comes to those who follow it and who treasure it and who go after it. There are all of these words that I was circling like hear and keep and incline your heart and treasure these things and turn to these things and choose these things and listen to these things and seek these things and call out for these things. The one who gets wisdom is the one who wants it. Look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. It says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, seek it like silver and search it for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. It is given to those who want it, who pursue it. Even one more example, I love chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Turn there. We won't jump around every much this week, but in this introduction, I want you to see this. Listen to chapter 7. God has really used uh, verse 4 here to, to minister to me this week. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live and keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers and write them on the tablets of your heart. That really reminds me of uh, Psalm 1, meditating on the word. And it reminds me of Deuteronomy 6, keeping the Lord's things before you all the time. But look at verse 4. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend. Some Hebrew scholars would say the word sister there might be bride or it might be sister. But either way, look at what it says, the meaning of the verse. Say to wisdom, you're my sister, you're my intimate friend. What it says there is at least it's something that you protect. It's something you care for. It's something you sacrifice for. It's something that means something to you. It's literally something you would lay down your life for. You are my intimate friend. You are my sister. I want the best for you. I will do anything to protect you and to love you and to honor you. So it is right here. It's saying that's the way we treat wisdom. We pursue it with all of our might because there's nothing more valuable than the wisdom that God has. Getting it will cost you something. But it will be worth it. We will have to make decisions to say no to this and yes to this and no to this person and yes to this person and no to this decision and yes to this decision. And it might seem like we're making a sacrifice, but I assure you, anytime you make a decision to do it God's way, you have made a good decision. And so Proverbs paints this picture, and I'm going I'm to connect this to Jesus. Proverbs paints this picture of an invitation to this path that leads to life. And we follow a person in that path. We follow the, the way of wisdom. And on that path, there is life. And that path leads to life. What you have even more than that is a, a father pleading with a son to choose the way of wisdom. There is a pleading about this. You have lady wisdom over and over standing in front of a crowd saying, please, I beg you, don't go the way of folly. Go the way of wisdom. I'm begging you. I know better than you know. I see what you don't see. I've seen a thousand other people make these decisions. Please, I'm begging you, walk the way of wisdom. 
And the best way for us to connect that to Christ is to do so from a, a little passage in Matthew chapter 7. And some of you in your own minds may have already gotten there. But write down Matthew 7, 13 through 14. And we'll conclude by making this connection. Jesus comes to the end of his longest recorded sermon. He is surrounded by a crowd of people. You might say, Pastor Josh, why do we end our sermon, our sermon every week with an invitation? Well, one of the many reasons is because Jesus did. That's what it says in verse 13. Jesus cries out to the crowds, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. That's exactly the picture from the book of Proverbs. It's the same picture. What Jesus is saying is there's two paths. I want you to choose the path of life. And I want you to follow me on that path. And I want you to know that that is the only path that leads to life. Every other path follows to death. And I want you to make that path your greatest pursuit. Because there are many who choose the other because it's easier. But it's the difficult and the hard path that always leads to life. And what's happening here is Jesus, like the father that sits down with his son in Proverbs 1. And Jesus, like Lady Wisdom who stands on the corner, is pleading with you today to choose the way of Jesus. To be led by the person of Jesus. To trust the promises of Jesus. To pursue the way of Jesus. And the reason that we can make this connection to say that following the way of wisdom is following the way of Jesus is because 1 Corinthians 1.24 says this, Jesus is the wisdom of God. Who is the only person that never made a foolish decision? Jesus. Colossians 2.3 says that in Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom. So listen, what I would say to you is this. If you do not know Jesus, the promises, of, uh, the promises of Proverbs are not for you. They were written for the people of God. But if you know Jesus, every promise in Proverbs and every bit of direction is teaching you how to follow him. Because listen, Jesus is the path of wisdom. Jesus is the person of wisdom. Jesus is the promises of wisdom. And Jesus is the pursuit of wisdom. And here's what I want you to feel as we, as we come to the conclusion of this sermon. We, we begin our journey through the book of Proverbs. Here's what I want you to feel. Listen, if you're with me, say amen. amen. I want you to feel this. Contrary to what you might have felt in church your whole life, I don't want you to feel primarily commands and instruction to do this and not do this. What you want you to hear is the voice of a loving, kind father in, he, in Proverbs 1 who gets down and looks at his son and says, Son, there is nothing I want more than for you to walk with the Lord. Son, I'm older than you. And I know better than you. And I know you're not going to believe me. But if you choose the way of folly, you will destroy your life. And if you reject the way of wisdom, you will destroy your life. Not only will you spend eternity in hell, but son, your life will be miserable. You will bring so much harm upon yourself. And every single passage of this book is a father looking to a son and saying, son, there's nothing I want more. I'm begging you. I'm pleading you in a way that only the loving heart of a father could do. Please choose wisdom. What I want you to feel this morning is this. There's a really kind and a really loving God who is not simply concerned with you doing the right things. He knows better than you. He sees what you don't see. And with the most kind and loving heart, he just begs you to go the right direction. He just begs you to choose Jesus. 
He is not concerned that you do this and this and this. He wants you to say, I want Jesus and I want to go the way of Jesus and I want to follow a person into life because the rules will not get you there. A person will get you there. It is only through following Jesus and that's what I want you to feel and the decision I want you to make as if you feel the love and kindness of God who is instructing you in the way of life, I want your response to be, Lord, I want to trust that your way is always the best way. That every time you tell me to do something, it is not you coming at me with just another command, it is you saying out of a loving heart, trust that my way is better. Just trust me. Just trust that every instruction I give to you is for your good. And you will never see it until the other side of eternity. But I assure you that every direction God gives you is direction for your good. So you say, Lord, I I repent of, of, of all of the areas of my life in which I am not involving you. And what I want more than anything is to surrender my full life to you, knowing that you know better, knowing that you want best for me. I want to do life your way. Every area of life for Jesus, for his glory, listen, and for your good. That's Proverbs. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.